1: And welcome to the Great Canadian Gaming Corporation Second Quarter 2020 Results Conference Call. At this time, note that all lines are in the listen-only mode. But following the presentations, we will conduct a question-and-answer session. Should you require immediate assistance at any time, please press star zero for the operator. Also note that the call is recorded Wednesday, August 12, 2020. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Terrence Doyle. Please go ahead.
2: Thanks, Sylvie, and good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Great Canadian Gaming Corporation's conference call to review the company's financial results for the second quarter ended June 30th, 2020. Joining me on the call this afternoon is Rod Baker, the company's Chief Executive Officer, and John Russo, the company's General Counsel and Chief Privacy Officer. I would like to remind listeners that the latter portion of this call is reserved for institutional investors and analysts. Any media related inquiries can be directed towards Chuck Keelan, Executive Vice President, Stakeholder Relations and Responsible Gaming. He can be reached at 604-247-4197. Before we begin, I must caution all listeners that that this conference call may contain forward looking statements that reflect management's expectations regarding the company's future. These statements, which will be identified by words such as anticipate, believe, accept, or similar expressions are based on information currently available to the company. Investors should not place undue reliance upon these statements which involve significant risk, uncertainties, and assumptions. These statements are made as of the date of this call and the company assumes no obligation to update or revise them to reflect new events or circumstances. Unless otherwise indicated, all financial information in this call is presented in Canadian dollars and in accordance with International Financial Recording Standards, or IFRS, except for adjusted EBITDA and free cash flow, which are non-IFRS terms defined in the company's MD&A. Unless otherwise noted, all financial information for the comparative period exclude the financial results of the U.S. region as they have been presented as discontinued operations after Great Canadian Gaming Corporations was sold on June 27, 2019. I will now pass the call to Rod for the review of Great Canadian's financial results for the quarter. He will then provide an update on the company's business outlook.
3: Rod? Thank you, Terrence. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. The second quarter continued to be very challenging for us as our full complement of gaming operations and ancillary amenities remain closed for the entire period due to the impact of the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. While we have taken actions to significantly reduce our operating expenses during the closure period, our second quarter results were negatively impacted materially by the closures, resulting in a decrease in revenues, expenses, adjusted EBITDA and cash flows when compared to the same period in the prior year. During the period, the company took measures to significantly reduce its operating expenses to mitigate the decline in revenues from the gaming facility closures. Human resource expenses in the second quarter primarily consisted of costs related to remaining personnel required to support the business during the closure period. The second quarter of 2020, approximately half of the property marketing and administration expenses were related to direct property operating costs including property taxes, insurance, utilities, and maintenance, with the remaining half related to administration costs, including license, subscriptions, and professional fees. Great Canadians' revenues and adjusted EBTA for the second quarter of 2020 were $62.8 million and $31.8 million respectively. Revenues for the second quarter of 2020 primarily consisted of the Ontario Bundle's annual entitlement of service provider fee for permitted capital expenditures recognized in full in the second quarter and continued contractual service provider-based fixed fees under the respective casino operating agreements, which resulted in a positive adjusted EBITDA. Adjusted EBITDA was also positively impacted by $20.9 million in lease payments, which are no longer recognized as operating expenses in adjusted EBITDA due to the implementation of IFRS 16, the new lease accounting standard adopted in the prior year. During the second quarter of 2020, the company also recognized negative cash flows, which I will now discuss in more detail. As a result of the temporary suspension of operations, we have placed more focus on monitoring our free cash flow, an additional non-IFRS measure, which has been disclosed in our second quarter results. We believe free cash flow is a relevant measure to assess the company's performance during the closure period, particularly to understand the company's non-discretionary cash requirements. In the second quarter of 2020, the company had negative free cash flow of $123.4 million which was consisted of adjusted EBITDA of 31.8 million dollars as previously discussed less changes in non-cash working capital of 22.2 million capital expenditures of 98.6 million substantially all of which was in Ontario payment of lease liabilities of 20.9 million and interest paid of 13.5 million we funded the $123.4 million of negative free cash flow by borrowing an additional $60.7 million on their credit facilities for capital expenditures in Ontario and the remainder from available cash balances. Furthermore, prior to the end of the first quarter of 2020, we borrowed $325 million on the revolving portion of the senior secured credit facilities to ensure we had sufficient liquidity available. As the understanding of our circumstances was enhanced, we felt it was appropriate to repay these additional borrowings during the second quarter of 2020. Shareholders' net loss from continuing operations was $31.4 million in the second quarter of 2020 due to the previously mentioned facility closures. I'm now going to provide an update on the company's outlook. Since the closure of all of our properties across the country almost five months ago, we started to develop comprehensive reopening plans with the health and safety of our team members and guests as the foundation. As part of a planning process, we work closely with key stakeholders, including our Crown corporations and regulators, to ensure our plans properly address provincial health authorities' guidance and recommendations as provincial economies reopen. Certain provinces have now approved casinos to reopen as part of their phase reopening plans, and we are working diligently on determining the reopening timelines and dates as we complete the necessary health and safety enhancements outlined in our plans. Since the temporary closure took effect, we have ensured that each of our operating agreements remain in good standing with our provincial Crown corporations. Once we reopen, we expect our business will slowly recover with the pace of recovery governed by our guests as they adjust to the new environment and gain confidence with our safety measures. In addition, we expect limitations on guest capacity and ancillary amenities to be in place for an extended period of time. However, as confidence levels increase, capacity restrictions easing and patrons becoming more familiar with the new guest experience, we expect the business will recover further. Following the Government of Ontario's lifting of restrictions on non-critical construction projects on May 19, 2020, we have restarted certain key capital projects in Ontario with appropriate workplace safety measures in place. We continue to reassess the, the impact to the timelines for the completion of these projects, in particular the developments at Pickering Casino Resort and Casino Woodbine. As communicated in last quarter's call during the second quarter of 2020, we worked with our banking partners to complete amendments to each of our credit agreements to temporarily waive certain financial and other covenants. As at June 30th, 2020, Great Canadian continued to remain in stable capital and liquidity position with a cash balance of 498.2 million and million sorry, 1 billion 106 million Uh, of available undrawn credit on our credit facilities, subject to applicable covenants and the ongoing support from our banks. This was a challenging quarter for Great Canadian, as it has been for many other businesses in our country, and we expect to be on a slow path to recovery when we reopen our gaming facilities. As our sites reopen, we will gain a better understanding of our financial outlook while finding opportunities to safely improve our business performance. I want to thank our shareholders for their continued support as well as our great Canadian team members for their hard work during these unprecedented times. As a final and very important comment, I want to thank all of our team members that unfortunately have been temporarily left without work due to the closure for their patience, perseverance and understanding. I look forward to welcoming you back soon. Parents, we can now invite questions. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Rod. And before we begin today's question and answer session, I would like to remind everyone that questions will be reserved for institutional investors and analysts. I would also like to reiterate the company's investor relations philosophy, which encourages investors and analysts to utilize this public conference call as their principal medium for speaking with great Canadian senior management. They'll we can now go to Q and A, thank you.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question at this time, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. And should you wish to withdraw your question, simply press star followed by two. And if you're using a speakerphone, we do ask that you please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Please go ahead and press star one now if you have a question. And your first question will be from George Dumay at <coughs> Scotia Bank.
4: Yeah, hi, hi, Rod, and congrats on some uh, pretty good cost containment in the quarter.
3: Hi, George, thank you for that.
4: Um, maybe, hopefully, looking ahead to the reopening here, um, it looks like uh, it's, uh, it's varies by jurisdiction. But can you maybe tell us your view in terms of which one, which jurisdictions were the closest to opening? Um, and and it's, it's, are we leading towards maybe uh, a more of, of a 50% capacity reopen, similar to what we've seen in the U.S.
3: So uh, that's a very, very challenging uh, question to answer, George. So I'm going to uh, mention a few items, and then I think uh, it's, it's up to you and everyone to try and triangulate their own best view of the future. Uh, the, the first thing I would, I would say is, uh, as much as we've made significant progress in all of our jurisdictions until we get to that all defining moment where it's a confirmed go, uh, that means that it could, the timing on any particular uh, ability to move forward uh, could vary uh, materially depending not only on the micro environment dealing with us, but also the more macro environments that our communities are expecting. So I think it's very difficult and challenging, even as We've made good progress and moved things along to leave you with any sense as to what we believe the timing will actually be. And I am hopeful at some point we will be able to surprise you with uh, announcements that we will be opening up at some point in time. And as I've messaged uh, in the last call, once we have uh, visibility on that, we will have a several week period uh, to get the businesses organized again. Uh, with our team members and protocols in place and and, and that like. So I think think it's very important that uh, you understand that. And even if I was to give you a sense on a particular jurisdiction that I thought was in a better place as we were getting closer, I could mislead you because things could change here. So I think that's the overriding uh, belief that I need to leave with you. Firstly, I, I also think it's very important that you look at, the provinces and what they have announced so far in terms of general business uh, opening requirements from a health and safety perspective and that's going to be a key driver in terms of our ability to also open in a safe and appropriate fashion as businesses in these communities and along those lines there's been some visibility uh, that you can look to broadly and I would encourage you to do that Uh, in in all four jurisdictions. You did mention about a 50% capacity, and I think you also referred to some other markets and some U.S. markets. And I know lots of people have been trying to glean learnings from many Mm -hmm. different jurisdictions. And I think there's an insane number of very short-term data points uh, that will fall on a continuum that, frankly, I think will be much more misleading helpful if you look at a Ontario, BC, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick opening uh, profile. I think if you look at, and again, this is now Rod Baker personally versus corporately. I think uh, Canada by and large has done, and, and the jurisdictions before that I mentioned there have done an exceedingly thoughtful job at containing a very difficult health situation. And I do believe there is a strong, strong priority to continue with the right type of reopening program broadly, which we fully, fully support. I mean, as you know, George, we've always been in the marathon business and maybe criticized for it between robust capital structure, lots of liquidity, things like making sure we invested for many years in Ontario to be successful through their modernization program to having multi Year multi-billion-dollar capital programs in Ontario. We're we're all about marathons, not sprints. And I think you know COVID has really hurt businesses that uh, acted like a sprint business when they were now told, okay, now but now it's a marathon, and you've sort of blown your wad in in a short amount of time. So I think there's things going on in many markets that are very dissimilar and would be very misleading. From I think the very sound and thoughtful political and health leadership that is uh, being exhibited in Canada, which we fully support. And we don't want things to get out of hand uh, such that then business needs to be clamped down. And so some of these other jurisdictions, and I won't mention any in particular, but again, to exercise some significant caution, uh, a lot of them talk about things like uh, capacity and many of them have talked about fire code capacity And it sounds good and safe, but the reality is, when a market has said we're at half capacity, it's actually a filled-up zoo, and they're using almost all their machines, and they're allowing people in. And if you see some of these communities that I might be referring to south of the border, they've got some very significant health challenges uh, that are going on right now. And I think the governments up here are, thankfully, in our view, not on that program uh, and and will serve us well when we open. So I think anything along the lines of 50% capacity, the way they've done it, it's not really 50%. And I think for us, again, no crystal ball, uh, that's, a, that's a much, much, much too optimistic slash reckless early days opening for our facilities, in my view, sitting here today, looking at everything that we know. So... When we talk about, and I know we've been criticized for being overly conservative in the past, I do believe this is a marathon, not a sprint. We need to get back in the game, to get back in the game in a very safe and appropriate fashion and to re-engage not only with our guests but our team members with our new operating environment and make sure we do an exceptional execution uh, of uh, the guest experience, which will be extremely curtailed and limited in the early weeks and months. Uh, but also from a health and safety perspective, make sure we do our part in all these communities. So it's a very long answer, but I think people need to get off this thing of uh, 50% fire code capacity. And I think the other thing that's worth mentioning, which again, things can be different. And absolutely, I think even within our own business, it, different facilities will open differently with different levels of, of guest acceptance and traction, when you look at some of the early days stuff out of some of these markets, and uh, I need to take people back to the regional business, which has been around for a long time, certainly longer, uh, much before COVID, and it's been built out over the last fifteen, ten, fifteen years. There was very little organic growth in many of these U.S. markets, particularly as states would increase capacity. It was very difficult, and now all of a sudden, with markets closed for Several months, uh, arguably some pent-up demand, and then the first facilities opening, so that you had instead of you know eight guys open on the four corners, you have two guys open in the first week, and then a phasing of that and less amenities. You had some very decent results percolating out of some management teams and some facilities, which I'm not saying the business was not there, but I think people are forgetting that as you look a little bit down the road, when all the capacity is online and everybody decides that they'd like to go and try and reach for that extra GGR dollar in these markets, the market hasn't grown. If anything, if you look at the economic impact of COVID, it's going to be challenging for our business as a discretionary dollar business, just like others. So I think there's some early days, almost euphoric uh, sentiment out there, which I, I think the math does prove out, but I think you need to look beyond that to understand what it means over the short, medium, and longer term, and to not let yourself extrapolate out something very early and thinking that that goodness continues and multiplies. So, again, I don't want to tell you guys how to value things or look at things. I'm all about running our business for shareholders, and we're setting it up to run it in a very thoughtful and appropriate fashion, uh, being supported by our crown agencies and regulators, and we're excited for that day to come, but we're not there yet. Okay, yeah, thanks for
4: that. And, okay, um, Rod, you gave some pretty good granularity on the PMA costs this uh, this quarter, and I remember last conference call you you did talk about heavy financial burden of reopening. Uh, can you maybe tell us a little bit about the cost structure, how that looks like in, in a reopen scenario?
3: So I think it's too early to uh, uh, go through that. As I mentioned, we're we we have it's going to cost more on a on a per unit of gaming uh, dollar basis, for sure. We're going to have less gaming dollars. So uh, I think different facilities are going to be quite different, as you know. We have uh, very modest-sized community-type facilities, very limited amenities with much more straightforward uh, flows of traffic on a safe basis. Then we've got some that are much more complicated that require much more support. So there's a broad range. And I think at this point in time, it, will be, uh, it would be difficult for me to let you know what the cost side of our math would be once we reopen. Uh, as I think you noticed, I think the team has done an exceptional job while we've been closed at mitigating the stranded costs, albeit at a very, very significant and terrible impact on many of our team members Uh, that being said we need to keep our business solvent so that we can uh, invite everybody back and get everybody back to working uh, properly here so it's been difficult but i think we've done a good job there's no question when we open our cost structure is going to go up materially from that which it has been while we've been closed
4: okay yeah that's helpful and just one last one before i pass the line Um, i uh, I saw six million of wage subsidies in the quarter like how do you expect that to trend um, in the back half? And and the second part of that question is, do we get any form of aid at all from the, uh, from the crown corporations?
3: So uh, that's just formulaic on uh, if you have eligible uh, employee costs and I would leave it to you because I think it's dynamic and changing every day in terms of the, the government, uh, how they've been supporting businesses, and some of the metrics. So I actually think if we talk too much about it now, tomorrow when there's been additional items uh, or tweaks made to the planning, that could make things be more relevant or less relevant for us going forward. So uh, I think uh, I'd like to leave that for you just to do your own homework. But as you can see, you mentioned there's a ratio of the amount of Uh, costs that we incurred in relation to that. So I think you can use that as a ratio. Looking backward, I wouldn't necessarily use it for a ratio going forward. But we are, you know, very much appreciative of that support. It's enabled us to uh, mitigate our losses and to have more people back to work on things to get us back up and running sooner as opposed to later so that we can reintroduce our thousands of other team members that Unfortunately, are not able to work right now. So, I think it's 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 uh, a great initiative that's helped us get through this period for sure. Uh, you know, in terms of the other crowns, um, they've been massively success are, are, are supportive uh, in all respects. Uh, you know, I think financial is one of it. Working with us together, uh, we're trying to figure this out. Uh, it's it's still a very fluid situation and it's being figured out. Uh, on a daily basis, they understand how important it is for us to open, it, but to open it in a safe and responsible fashion, uh, as do we. And so I think that process is going uh, well. In terms of uh, financial support through this period, I think you've seen contractually uh, what we've uh, booked. In terms of other financial support through this period, that hasn't been uh, a necessity or a requirement. Uh, as we've obviously funded our closure costs off our own balance sheet, which we're more than fine with, don't get me wrong. So mm-hmm. I think that's more than appropriate. Uh, and and forward-looking in terms of making sure we can get in business uh, in a fashion that is stable and safe from a, from a health and safety perspective, but that also uh, is possible from a financial perspective, uh, is critically important for us. And those are the things we're working on right now.
4: Okay, great. Thanks for your answers, Rod, and uh, good luck with the uh reopening. Plate. Okay.
3: Thanks very much, George. Appreciate the the questions.
1: Thank you. Next question will be coming from Savat Khan at RBC Capital Market. Please go ahead.
5: Thanks and good afternoon. Um I appreciate the color. Hi. I appreciate the color you provided earlier on the uncertainty, but I guess if you look at it from your perspective, um you know, apart from the government guidelines on when you can reopen, do you have sort of, you know, capacity thresholds or, you know, certain metrics that you can share that you would like to see before you reopen? Obviously, there's break-even revenue amounts, but, in Ontario, for example, has got, you know, 50 people limits in some places. How are you thinking about it? Like, what would you like to see?
3: I mean, so so right
5: now, there are
3: 50 people limits uh, in Ontario. That is Uh, factually correct. And that's why I was encouraging everybody to look at the four jurisdictions to see what is out there. Uh, And and so that is what's out there. And so that's the current uh, environment that uh, we're dealing with. I am aware uh, that the government has looked at the Cinema business, for example, and I think they've approached it a little bit differently. But again, I would encourage people to go and look at that as opposed to me trying to paraphrase something that I'm not an expert with and to get it wrong. So I think there, it's a very different situation. There's uh, out in BC, uh, you know, that if you look, you have to look at the health authorities and the restrictions placed on large gatherings. So I think this is still very fluid for us. Uh, and so it's very difficult for me to go and tell you how I think it played out. I would – I, if it's not clear enough, I think it's extremely thoughtful, good business to open in a very sound and very manageable perspective and get in the game in a safe and appropriate way and deliver a very good guest experience, even if it's a very different guest experience in the early weeks and months. I think that is – absolutely in our best interest i know stock markets and shareholders would like things to happen today i need to look further than that i think you know and i'll just be totally honest we're in the casino business here and we're not going to make people uh get sick i think that would be a very very bad thing for us and if we have to start more modestly because it's it's very much it's very safe and appropriate and that's what's Uh, not only our view, but our, our, our crown organizations and our regulators, then that's what we want to do. And that's what we're happy to do. And to be honest, you know, baby steps when you open up with new protocols uh, or baby your steps is actually a smart, good thing. And then as you go and you see that things are working well, then maybe there's an opportunity in dealing with uh, regulators and crown corporations and, and indirectly health authorities to, uh, have things, uh, you know, evolve on a more expanded basis. So I think people need to understand that this is, I call it a marathon, it sounds bad. This is a journey. We're on a journey. And, and this is a very important journey. And it's very important that we set it up right at the beginning for success. So, like, I think our business levels are going to be very modest in the, in the early days. I, I really do. And we support that concept. And we don't, I think it's very uh, important that we don't, bleed a lot of dollars every day i think that that gets very expensive and so we need to mitigate that but we're not going to mitigate that at opening up the doors and creating an environment that's not contained and controlled and appropriate from a health and safety perspective so we're going to try and get the balance right and if we err on the side we're going to err on the side of a little slower uh a little more thoughtfully a little more controlled so that we really make sure we do uh a very good job here in these respects, and I think our not only our, our business deserves that and will be rewarded by that. I think our communities and 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 our people that work within and come to visit us they deserve that as well. So that's our that's our operating approach.
5: Okay, thanks for that. And then, are you I guess from your perspective, are you okay with opening yeah. various provinces in uh, I guess? at varying times, or would you like to open all your facilities at the same time? It seems like the East Coast is a little bit ahead of other provinces. So is it sort of a province-by-province decision?
3: So, yes, I would say, uh, you know, you said, what do I think it's going to be, and then, like, what's my preference? So my preference really doesn't matter, but my preference would be if they all opened at once. I think that would be really great. I think the reality of the situation is – that's probably not going to be the case here. So uh, everything is being worked on on a siloed basis, but with common resources and best practices so that we can really deliver up uh, the right protocols uh, and and execution paths for each of the regions. Uh, But I would expect there to be uh, some difference in in timing of reopening timing between the different jurisdictions. And I would tell you, uh, I think there might even be some Modest changes, even within a province, just based on operational execution and timing and whatnot, right? So, but I think those could be more micro in nature uh, than a province by province, which which is which is binary, right? Either you can open or you can't kind of thing. So, yes, yeah, so I, I, I think I think it will be. Uh, it probably will just evolve to being a staging, but there's some chance it might not.
5: Okay, thanks. And then uh, you mentioned in your release that you are reassessing your capex plans and sort of the redevelopment timelines. Can you give us your thought process of the factors you're considering? Is it, you know, managing your cash flow during the closures? Is it, you know, potential increases in some of these construction costs? Just how are you thinking about that?
3: Yeah, so that's a great question. And if you noticed, I spent a lot of time on free cash flow, and we even spent a lot of time in creating something new in this closure period, so that you guys understood it, and you understood our thinking on this. There's no question that in this period, if we are not in in business and generating free cash flow, free cash flow for us has been critically important for two reasons, other than showing profitability and, and progress in our progress in our business. Uh, it, it's done twofold. It's been significant. Uh, capital that we've directly redeployed against uh, our Ontario significant capital programs of which we are right in the middle of right now. And then it also provides the retained earnings uh, equity component for the amount of capital development dollars that we borrow from the bank. So it's it's been a, a foundational piece of how we've been able to uh, buy very significant sized assets have a multi-billion dollar development program underway uh, while we haven't gone and issued a bunch of shares and done all sorts of other things to raise money to do that. So, um, With our business not generating cash flow now, and in fact, actually uh, a negative operating cash flow amount, it, it's much more critical through this period that we look at cash in and cash outflow. and. I didn't want you guys to get too giddy about 30 million dollars of EBITDA either through this closed period, which is it's really, I think, an a outstanding number, and we're happy with. But you need to understand what that number is made up of. And as as we as I mentioned, if it wasn't picked up, uh, IFRS 16, we have 20.9 million of cash lease costs in Q2 that we paid and had to pay. That no longer show up in our EBITDA line, which when we have a regular amount of EBITDA and this is like 10 to 15% of our EBITDA, then that's fine. But in this quarter, it was 66% of this EBITDA number and it's a non cash EBITDA. So right away, that's not there. And then obviously, as the business wound down, as I messaged the last call, uh, when you're up and running regularly, you know, you have working capital levels that say they stay stabilized but when business stops and you have you run negative working capital balances then they start to unwind that takes cash so we had cash come out this quarter for that as well and then we did benefit by our our pce this quarter which as you know uh is once a year and it's significant 24 million dollars we appreciate it but even in this quarter alone we we spent a hundred million dollars of capex. so even in terms of the net of those two even this quarter alone uh, we're still negative cash flow quite a bit so it's critically important through this period for all of these reasons that we that we look at our cash and our and, uh, and our and our cash liquidity and cash outflow situation now that being said we're very excited about our prospects at Pickering and Woodbine when the government allowed uh, non-critical construction to resume we've resumed those, projects uh and we've done that i would tell you at this point in time even though we've had delays and things will be delayed uh we spent another hundred million dollars this quarter i don't think q3 is going to be quite that high but q3 is still going to be a very very significant capital development uh program uh principally at, at at pickering and woodbine in ontario so uh You know, that continues because we think that's an important part of our future. And as I mentioned, our marathon and our liquidity and our balance sheet over the years that we've been somewhat criticized for, I think this is, you know, this is a real proof positive that it served us well because it's affording us more ability to continue with these very significant and critically important capital programs through what's an incredibly difficult closure period for us right now. So, you know, you're spot on and that's how we think of it. Now, from a timing of where we have bulges in the capital program and how we're lining up to actually open both Pickering, which, as you know, was coming up to the short-term opening potential at the end of Q1, very early Q2, uh, and then Woodbine a little bit further down the road, we need to be uh, thoughtful on when we're going to bring those properties online. So we're continuing the capital program to create the optionality of when we're going to actually open those two facilities, Pickering being obviously much sooner on the timeline. But at this stage of the game, until we have a much better understanding of opening and traction and then how uh, health and safety protocols might change over time to enable us to have a a larger gaming uh, experience and a more amenity gaming experience in a safe and appropriate way without understanding those metrics and and the potential behind those it would be reckless to pretend that I know when we should open up these new big facilities that are very exciting and will be fantastic but they also remember come with a whole bunch of new fixed operating costs when you open those so we need to make sure that the business the environment is there to support those so so we have the ability and we are continuing along and as i mentioned q3 is going to be a very very significant capital expenditure period for us as well but you shouldn't extrapolate from that that uh we're going to open pickering in six weeks from now because we're not going to do that
5: Okay, and just to follow-up on the commentary around, you know, obviously you going into the after q one reporting, you indicated that there was going to be some of these government-related payments, and you provided a scenario for what an operating loss could look like. Can you maybe give us directional metrics under what, you know, a shutdown through Q3 could mean for operating income and even cash flow? Sorry, so if we're if we're shut down through Q3
3: for the entire quarter, you you want me to comment on what i think our cash flow would look like
5: yeah i think at q1 reporting you sort of give a scenario that if the facilities remain closed through q2 you know there's one scenario for what cash flow or operating income loss or operating loss could look like would you yeah. have kind of with the absence of these government revenue payments what you know what q3 could directionally look like
3: so uh i think if you look at q2 that's a very good place to extrapolate out uh so, I would do that. And then, obviously, as we're all very clear, uh, the PCE is a Q2 only event that happens once a year in Q2. So, uh, if I were you, I would back that out. I also think it's a little bit difficult to say, but as I mentioned, when you first close the business, how there's the unwinding of negative working capital. So, I think our working capital profile in Q3 won't be quite as punitive as it was in q2 so i think you have those two items there that you should adjust from our q2 operating environment and i also mentioned that our capital expenditures are going to be very very significant in q3 but not quite to the level of q2 so i think you should use all of the same numbers that you now have in Q2 and think about those three uh, important line items and adjust for those and you're probably doing not too
5: badly then. That's great. Thank you for the color. All right. No problem.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, if you do have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchstone phone. And your next question will be from directly at Canaccord. Please go ahead.
0: (coughs) Yeah, hi Rod. Thanks for the the color and the um, the change in disclosure, which is obviously very helpful for for this type of a quarter. One question I had, and I think you may have just answered it, but when when I look at your um, your mark uh, your marketing and promo costs for the quarter, you know, in and around twenty million, is that what you would kind of consider like a fixed cost for that line item?
3: So the short answer is yes. I would tell you that there's a small amount, but it's almost immaterial, but there's a small amount of one-time license fees, you know, Microsoft, uh, all those guys that gouge you and you charge way too much money, that falls in this period that may not be repeated, but order of magnitude, uh, you know, that's what we're looking at. And as we try to provide disclosures, you know, we have... I think you've seen how the math is, I think our team's done a very good job, but we have these monster facilities and they come with monster costs and we have every intention of staying current because there are lifeblood on these monster costs that that come with these facilities. So they're pretty much hardwired whether we are uh, operating or not for the foreseeable future here.
0: Yeah. Okay, um, that makes sense. In terms of just your 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 balance sheet, um, and I understand you, you know you did get some covenant relief. Can you just talk about like is there is there a covenant that we should be aware of on on in, on your debt, or is there a comfort level uh, within the management team that we should we should be thinking about?
3: So, uh, from financial covenants perspective. Uh, we have relief until January 1, 2021, which means the Q1 effectively. So I think at this point in time, uh, with so many unknowns in terms of not only the timing, but the the traction in the environment and the math that's going to flow out of that, I think at this point it's premature to uh, look at those kind of items with any degree of confidence to see uh, how much that needs to be focused on at this stage or not. I mean, I think it's – look, it, the reality is when we get back in business and we're starting to rebuild our business, I think that is a very important milestone, irrespective of the math that falls out of it, and that's the first place to start, and then you take it up from there. But again, I think between now and even through the end of Cuba one 2021 – there's a lot it's a short amount of time, but there's a lot of ground to cover, not only in terms of our business operations, but as I mentioned, what's going on uh, out in our communities. and I think that's going to be just as much a driver as uh, taking it down to us and taking it down to our covenants, uh, whether there needs to be uh, a conversation or not uh, on the over the medium term going forward. So not to say that I'm not and we're not totally focused on that, we absolutely are. Uh but I think at this point in time it's very difficult to understand for someone like you or even us how to focus on it right now and what to do about it if you know what I mean. So
0: Yeah, no, Ed, fair enough. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Derek.
1: Thank you. Next question will be from David McSagin at Cormark. Please go ahead.
6: Oh hi, yeah, I have a couple of questions. Hey David, um, Sure. Okay. sure. How's it going? Good, thank you. You? Yeah, pretty good. Um good. so it seems like it seems like at this point in time and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but it seems like at this point in time you can't tell us exactly when the uh, casinos will open. It's it's still kind of fluid and, and flex depending upon of each province's guidelines and stuff. Is that is that correct?
3: I can't tell you because I don't know, not because I won't tell you. That is correct.
6: Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, And in the past, you've given us, like, your CapEx expenditures expected for the second half of 2020. I didn't see it in the MD&A, maybe I missed it. But uh, can you tell us what the CapEx would be for the latter half of 2020?
3: So, you know, I gave some visibility on Q3 uh, right now in relation to Q2, that it's going to be very material, but less than uh, Q2. And I think even Q4, as I mentioned, in terms of the timeline, and if you look at a pickering, I think even though it's not too far away, we, 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 we need to reassess uh, how much gas we put on things or not, depending on when we open, how that goes, what our protocols are, what our capacity uh, picture looks like. So I think there's... Many, many items that are going to... Our team is very, very nimble and thoughtful, uh, and we are going to uh, have to be very dynamic about managing that so that we, frankly, set ourselves up for the best opportunities from a timing and a cost perspective with the capital programs. But as I said, sitting here today, not being open at all, not seeing what the environment is like operationally and the the traction and the feedback... uh, from not only our guests, but from our stakeholders that we work with and support us. I think it's very difficult, even for Q4 at this point in time, to totally lock down the number. But my my sense is that Q3 and Q4 will continue to have very significant capital investments and continuing our Pickering and Woodbine uh, development programs, barring... uh, Something quite negative from an operating environment perspective uh between now and then
6: okay and and in the like earlier on the call, you said that you know when things open up and they're fully up and running, the cost structure is going to be higher just because increased safety protocols, increased cleaning costs, whatever. Can you give us any idea on a percentage basis how much those costs might be higher?
3: No, I, at this point, I can't. I, I, it's it, that's a, that's a lot of detail, and frankly, we still haven't totally finalized uh, how sites would actually open, and then following translating through all of the costs. Because I think there's still some dynamic analysis and decision making that needs to be had in order to uh, make that determination, and it could be quite material. So. So I wouldn't want to mislead you with something. But, I mean, if it, I just want to make sure that people are clear. When we're closed, like, our facilities, other than security and surveillance, there's nobody there, right? So when we're open, we have a lot of people there. So it's order of magnitude. You, you need to look at it as operating cost environment, not closure cost Q2 levels when you talk about opening doors. And that's why, frankly we are really really taking the time to understand how to open not only safely uh and appropriately from the from uh the health and safety perspective but also to make sure that we don't get ourselves in a situation where we open and we have seriously upside down math because that uh would not be a good scenario for us so it's it's important you know it's, it's difficult stuff and it's It's big dollars and big assumptions. So we're working through that. And unfortunately, I wish I had, honestly, I wish I I was at a point where we could uh, provide more detail to you on these matters, because I know they're critically important for all of us, but we just don't have them at this point in time. So I'm not able to share that with you.
6: Okay. uh, Sorry there. Um, So you've renewed your NCIB Um, I was kind of surprised. I thought you would really be in the mode of preserving cash right now, given the current state of operations. So I was just wondering what's, what's your, what's your plans with the NCID?
3: So I don't like to message too much. We did renew it. I think, you know, there's always optionality in things and that's just something. It's an optionality renewing. It doesn't mean that you're going to go and spend all the money tomorrow. Like we have in some other years, frankly, uh, you haven't read the documentation yet, but I would tell you that we dipped our toe in uh, just, af- just after the end of the quarter uh, and bought 300,000 shares at 26.55. And I think you should read into that dip the toe. And I think you should also read into it with some significant price discipline. So, and again, I never talk about price and value because it's up to you and shareholders to decide that. Uh, all I know is the, the the journey from an operational perspective and uh, getting in business and cash flow generation. And markets, a lot of the time, very much do and very successfully lead results. So I'll leave it all up to you guys to figure out how, how much to lead and when. Uh, but I think we so we have that there. And I think it might be, a tool to use to uh, create some incremental shareholder value at some point in time, but I think you'll find it will be much more disciplined, uh, especially from a price perspective, but I think also from an aggregate dollar perspective through this very difficult period. So I think your assessment is not wrong at all uh, in in the in the world that we're living in.
6: Okay, and it just, just on BC, I mean, I think the the plan there is not to open casinos, and who knows what they will look like until the province is in stage four. Is that is that basically mean they're going to wait? They have to wait for a vaccine to open these casinos. Just wondering what your thoughts so, are. There. So, so I think you
3: should go back to the 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 government's official site. I think there was some confusion originally when uh, that was. Published, there was uh, a statement made at the end relating to some industries, including ours, and because it came at the end of all the stages, it looked like it formed a part of stage four. Uh, my understanding is it does not form officially a part of the phase stage four. That being said, it still needs specific direct approval from Uh, the government and the government's health authority, right? So so I, I think the comment that you made and that made it into the newspaper, and as we know, the newspaper doesn't always get it right, and then people pick it up over and over and over again, I think it ended up actually being a little bit erroneous. And I do believe, I was told, I didn't check it myself, I was told if you go back to the source document now on the BC government's website that you could see that it's been reformatted. So it doesn't, it's not, it's not interpreted in an incorrect fashion.
6: Okay. All right. Thank you.
3: Okay. Thank you, David.
1: Thank you. Next question will be from Eli Sama at Madison. Please go ahead.
6: Hi, Rod. Uh, How long do you expect the business to have access to the modified thresholds
3: in Ontario? So uh, at this stage, I have... Uh, no visibility on uh, how long or the modification or any of those items. Those are, as we disclosed uh, in our first quarter, uh, that was something that was being worked on. And at this point in time, I'm not in a position to provide visibility on that. Uh, I I do think uh, it's important from our perspective, and I don't ever like to, mentioned things out to the world you know as i talk about this being a marathon versus a sprint uh i don't believe and i think the orientation through uh a number of our stakeholders is not that this is a situation that rectifies itself in days or even a couple of weeks like it's not that type of thing so i think uh i can leave you with that type of impression but anything further than that Uh, would not only be inappropriate, but we're not at the stage where I have something uh, that I can disclose in that respect. Understood.
6: And um, I guess a slightly different question would be um, during the so-called ramp-up period, uh, how do you expect the company's share of total GGR to compare to pre-COVID levels in Ontario?
3: Sir, you mean our share Uh, as compared to the entire marketplace
6: no your your share um, basically your your the portion that you take back out of the total ggr in your market you know adjusted for changes in splits and changes in thresholds so
3: i think that's the same question in terms of thresholds and adjustments so i have the same answer for you at this point in time i think uh that's not something that I I am able to uh, give you further visibility on at this point in time. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Sorry about that. Thank you, Eli.
1: Thank you. Once again, as a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have any questions, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. And next, we will hear from Sabat Khan at RBC Capital Markets.
5: Right, thanks. And just a couple of quick follow-ups. Um, you said that there's still construction that you restarted at uh, Ontario uh, facilities, namely Pickering and Woodbine. Can you maybe give us a quick update on where Pickering is right now? Uh, I think opening was expected in, I think, Q2, but I guess with that pushed out, are you now on to sort of the the hotel and other amenities for the construction, or are you still working on the main casino? So uh...
3: You know, everything went shovels down uh, and then we've uh, we've reinstituted and we're working on it again. Uh, we still, as I mentioned, we're balancing the amount of cash outflow in this closed period versus inflow. So uh, things have been uh, stretched out a little bit. And also, uh, obviously, you need a health and safety perspective. So, you know, we will maintain the ability to open – the facility on you know, six to eight weeks notice when we want to, and we're continuing to move it along, but we're not moving it along so that uh, we have the entire thing sitting there and the extra last dollars of CapEx sitting there because they need to be funded uh, in terms of the aggregate dollars and then the uh, interest cost on it. So uh, I think you're still going to see... Uh, as if and when we open it, a phased opening. And I think you need to, and look, things can change, but I think if you look at the environment right now, things like a huge theater and conference center, uh, we're not opening those up in the first instance uh, anytime soon now, right? So I, I think, you know, too many dollars in some of those very specific uh, modules. Uh, are are not the best place to spend money at this point in time wherein some others like uh, parking garages or whatnot it would buy it and that type of thing where there's always been parking challenges that's a great thing in 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 any respect so I think I don't want to get into too many details on the nuances that are how our team is approaching because I think it's done a very thoughtful job not only from a capital development perspective with time and options and flexibility, but also from a business perspective, putting dollars where we think we can uh, open earlier and sooner and get some benefits from it. uh, That's where we're, we're, we've we've switched the, you know, move Move. the priority, which it all needs to get done. But what you do in what order if you have some flexibility, I think can be and has been tweaked a little bit, but I, I think to get into more detail than that right now, is going to bore a lot of people and and not be a a lot of value at this point in time
5: okay and then um just on the the fixed payment that you receive from the olg for the bundles uh should we assume for q3 and q4 that the fixed payments across those bundles you get sort of evenly across all four quarters the pc is obviously a q2 event but just want to get an idea for q3 and q4 for the fixed payments so the, the the fixed payment that's a
3: contractual payment And it is rateably over all of the quarters and always has been. So, yes, that should be looked at differently than the PCE, which as a function of making significant capital investments in, in the past, our PCE pools, and I'm saying that in quotes, with the OLG, are so filled with CapEx dollars that as soon as we get to the first day, April 1st of their fiscal year, that's when the, the PCE is recognized and payable. So it is very different, and you could look at the one rateably uh, overall four quarters, uh, wherein P- the PCE is uh, w- you know one quarter only in Q2. Yes, that's correct.
5: Great. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Samha.:
1: Thank you. And at this time, gentlemen, we have no further questions. Please proceed.
2: Thank you, Sylvie, and thanks, everyone, for participating in today's call. Before we conclude, I would like to remind listeners that forward-looking statements were made during this call. For those who join Midway, I encourage you to listen to the replay of this call to hear my earlier comments regarding these forward-looking statements. This replay will be available through the investor relations sections of our website at www.gcgaming.com. This now concludes our call. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this does indeed conclude your conference call for today. Once again, thank you for attending. And at this time, we ask that you please disconnect your lines.